good to be with everyone. My name is Pastor Joseph Bianco. I'm the associate pastor here. I want to welcome you to this church. If this is your first time, we're glad that you're with us. Um, we have a new uh, child at home, a newborn. She's a month old, and so if I fall asleep midway through the sermon, don't be alarmed. <laughs> um, all right, today we are in... 1st John, and uh, our senior pastor Matt preached on 1st John this morning, providentially, and we're kind of in the second half of uh, that same chapter. Uh, before we read, let me pray, and then our response to the reading will be, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, come humbly, Lord, before your word, your very word um, written Father, uh, through man, but Lord, your words. And we put ourselves un under it. We submit ourselves to it. And uh, we believe uh, that it is good for us. Father, would you change us? Would you change our hearts uh, through the power of your word that we would be uh, better lovers of people? We would learn to love well, to love as you, Lord Jesus, have loved us. Uh, Father, correct us uh, where we err. Encourage us uh, in the areas that you have made us more like your Son. And Father, glorify your name uh, through this word today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The readings from 1 John uh, 4, 7-21. This is page 6 of your, of your bulletin. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, 
Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, it's good to be uh, with you all. We're in our second uh, sermon of the Advent uh, series. And last week we looked at hope, and this week we are looking at love. So if you see our Advent candles, hope and love are lit. Uh, Perhaps the greatest connection we have to love when thinking about Christmas is that for God so loved the world that he sent to this world the Savior. The joy that we share, the coming of Jesus, the Savior who's come to the world, is the same joy that the wise men would have shared as they brought gifts to worship Jesus in the manger. The story of Christmas is a story of love come to earth, love made manifest. Love has come bodily to us. That's what our passage is about today. John is writing about love, how we have been loved and how we are to love. Now John talks about two ways uh, that we can fail at being loving. We can fail in both action and belief. We can fail to do loving things, We can fail to uh, believe in the God of love. So the way, John says, that we are to love is by abiding in the love of God. Abiding in Jesus is the only way that we can truly love. Uh, Jim is right. I'm not going to give you a 12-step program. So I want you to walk, but I do want you to walk away today with some uh, really practical help. And so the question we're answering today is, how do we love people well? And to do that, we'll need to see the source of love, the intended purpose of love, and the motivation of love. Those are my three points. So let's look at the source of love. Uh, so I'll tell you the answer first to the source of love, and then I'll explain second. And the answer to the source of love is, of course, God. God is the ultimate source of love. And every loving action that has ever happened in the history of all time is a result of the common grace we receive from God. Um, Now in theory, when you imagine uh, how to love people, uh, we all like the idea. We like the idea that I could possibly love people well. Uh, It'd be great if we loved people well. No one is is against that. If you ask the meanest puppet on earth, Oscar the Grouch from Sesame Street, If you ask the meanest puppet on earth if he's okay with you loving people well, he would probably say yes. The idea of loving people well is not the problem. The problem is the practice. We all want to be good at loving. When it comes time to love, it can be very hard. So if you want to begin to be a good lover, you have to understand the source. And John says clearly that, the, that love is from God and that God is love. God is the source of all love, has always been loving, and has eternally expressed perfect love in himself. The Father's love for the Son, the Son's love for the Father, and the Spirit for the Father and the Son. So if you want to love people well and you don't know the source of that love, then you are already off track. Remember, there are two pitfalls. Either 
choosing not to love, or in this case, disbelief that God is love. Now, John says that God is love. And I don't know about you, but when I hear these words, God is love, I see uh, pictures of hippies from the 60s waving signs of love and wearing shirts that say love and using the words like, and sayings like make love and not war. Um, now that was the 60s, but I actually think that the sentiment there has not entirely left us. Uh, we think of love as often a feeling, this driving force of good and good feelings. And people who uh, take psychedelics, I'm on the uh, hippie train here, <laughs> will often come out of a psychedelic trip saying that they have felt the love of God. But what does it mean that God is love? Well, God is not only love. The Bible says God's many different things. The Bible says God is spirit. It says that God is light. God's patient, compassionate, gentle, kind. So God isn't only love, but that when we want to know what love is, we look at what God has done. We look at his actions. If you want a definition of love, then we look at Jesus. Love is nothing less than taking the thing you love most in the world and sacrificing it so that your brother or your sister can have life. In this case, God gave his only son, who he loved eternally, who he loved perfectly, who meant everything in the world to him so that you and I would not die. God is love is equal to saying that God has in his son made atonement for the sins of the world. And friends, that's exactly what John says in verses 9 to 10, that God sent his son that we might live through him, that because he loved us, he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So I think I'm, I may have shared this before, but my great uncle is Jewish, I'm half Jewish, and uh, growing up we celebrated the Jewish holiday uh, called the Day of Atonement or um, Yom Kippur. In my whole life, uh, my Jewish uncle's name is Uncle Izzy, would say, um, did you celebrate Yom Kippur? He loved to say Yom Kippur, and I would say Yom Kippur. Um, but in English, like if you read it on a calendar, you would say Yom, Yom Kippur. And I was doing some uh, exegesis the other day on the word propitiation. So the word propitiation in Greek is halosmos. And the Hebrew translation of halosmos from the Greek uh, is the word atonement, which in the Hebrew is the word kippur. Not kippur. So my uncle, my Jewish uncle, was correct. Propitiation is an atonement, a payment to release you from prison, from a debt. In this case, all people have sinned against God. And in order that justice may be satisfied, someone had to atone for our sins. And on the cross, Jesus made that payment in the wrath of God due to us for our sins is gone from us and is put onto Jesus Christ. Now, this wrath or fear will come up later, so I want you to hold on, to, uh, hold on later for that. 
Um, but my wife and I were watching uh, the movie Top Gun uh, Maverick, so the new one. Has anyone seen that? A few of you? Um, it was a, I thought it was actually a pretty good movie. And what I'm about to say uh, may be a bit of a spoiler. It will not ruin the whole movie for you, but plug your ears if you don't want to hear it. Uh, but we're at the climax of the movie. Uh, four American fighter jets are going into the Middle East on this dangerous mission. And my wife stops the movie and she says to me, All right, who do you think's going to die? And uh, without missing a beat, I said, Tom Cruise is going to die by attempting to sacrifice himself for the other pilots. And then that happened in the next scene. And here's how I knew that. Because there is no greater love story than the sacrifice of one man for many. And it's a love story that has its source in the story of Jesus on the cross. So if you want to love well, we begin with the source. Now I want to look at the, uh, move from the source to the intended purpose of love. So we're in our second point. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. And there's two intended purposes of love. They are one, that we may love others. And two, and most important, that God's love is manifest or which means to be made known. Uh, So verse 11 is fairly clear that because God loved us, we are to love one another. But verse 12 uh, may not be as immediately clear. Why does John include this preliminary statement, no one has ever seen God? What does it mean that God's love is perfected in us? So the relationship between our lack of ability to physically see God and God's love being perfected in us, or some translations say made complete, is intended to be put, those two ideas are intended to be put in juxtaposition by John for this reason. The way we will see God is through God's love being worked out in our relationships. We see God's love We see God himself as we love each other. Is perfected. The word is a perfect middle participle, meaning our abiding love gives the world eyes to see God. Our abiding love gives the world eyes to see God. So Christians, you cannot bear this responsibility if you do not abide in Jesus because it is a heavy weight. Your brothers or sisters or neighbors or friends or coworkers or family members or significant others or enemies will either see or not see God by how you love. So if you try to love by your own power, you will fail to show this kind of love. But if God abides in you and you in his love, then others will see God. So I remember uh, when I first came to faith, it was at a retreat center, and the whole like weekend was called March Madness. Um, and I went to bed that evening having heard the preacher preach the gospel. I was not a Christian yet. And our youth pastor prayed for each of us by name in the uh, camp or the cabin before bed. And I woke up the next morning Um, with an undeniable change to my heart. That's how I came to faith. Jesus had entered my heart, and I was changed. 
His spirit resided there. And I remember that my first response to this changed heart was a desire to serve. It was a desire to love. And I remember staying uh, after our meal times, and I remember cleaning up after the group uh, members. And I remember helping people with their bags when we got onto the bus. And what I remember most is uh, my youth pastor, when we all got back to the to Pittsburgh, checking in with the parents and explaining to my parents that their son had all of a sudden become very helpful and that I was a joy to have on the trip. So looking back, uh, my desire to serve was an outpouring of God's love in my heart. The first intended purpose of love is to love in action. We love by acting, by doing loving things because God is in our hearts. Now the text says this is because verse 13, he has given us his spirit. In verse 14, we have seen. Now wait a second, I thought that no one has seen God. Well, if you believe in Jesus as your savior, when his spirit enters your heart, he changes you. And he gives you the ability to see with clarity far greater than eyes. You see with your heart. And I don't mean in this Disney sense of just follow your heart. I mean, literally, he has indwelt your body. And the core of you is changed. It's transformed. And because we have been changed, verse 14, we testify. Now listen, this is a Christmas sermon. And if I could push you in any way this Advent season, it would be this. That for Christians, Advent is a season. It's a time where we testify to the world that the Savior has come. Christmas is, as, at its core, a tool of evangelism. So don't let it be co-opted by Hallmark. Long before the department stores got hold of Christmas, it was a season where Christians around the world remembered and testified that the Savior came bodily to this world in history. So that's my encouragement to you. Pray that you might be given this Advent season opportunity to testify that the Savior's come. Now let me remind us, and hopefully you can see it more clearly as we flesh out the text, the two pitfalls. One, that we fail to love this Advent season. Perhaps that's an action that we fail to complete or to take. A person we fail to call. Maybe it's a meal we fail to bring a meeting we failed to show up at, a prayer we failed to pray. Testifying to Jesus means that our actions are loving. But second, that we lack belief, faith, that God is the fountain of love. That we fail to place ourselves this Advent season in the story of God's redemptive purposes. That He is Savior, that Christ has come, and that He dwells in our hearts, and He empowers us by His love. So two questions for you. One, are you confessing Jesus this Advent season? In your workplace, in your marriage, in your friendships, to strangers? And two, are you abiding in Jesus this Advent season? Is he at the center of your heart? Or is he someplace else? Brothers and sisters, these are our two tests. So that verse 17 says we may have confidence in the day of judgment. That confidence is the assurance of salvation that we receive by His Spirit 
And we know if we have it, for verse 17, as he is, so also are we in this world. Do you suffer with Jesus? Do you have the joy of Jesus? Do you have the compassion of Jesus? Do you love like Jesus? So as I say this, surely your answer, any Christian's answer would be yes and no. Who can love like Jesus? Who can have the compassion of Jesus? Where can I find this kind of motivation? And that's going to move us to our third point, the motivation of love. What is the motivation of love? Where does the motivation of love come from? Fear is not a motivator of love. This, by the way, uh, is why fear of eternal hell is not enough for someone to come to saving faith. Fear of punishment is an empty gospel. Love of God saving you completely by grace is a full gospel. The text says in verse 18 that perfect love casts out fear. Now again, this is not some flag that hippies wave in the parade. Some people have used this verse as if love were the antidote to fear. They use it like a psychological tool in a counseling office. And that's not actually how John's using it. The sentence has to do with atonement. So I want you to ask yourself, why does perfect love cast out fear? What fear is being cast out? For the believer in Jesus, it is the fear of condemnation. Then in the final judgment, when we stand before God and all our sins are laid before us, the fear is that we would come up short. But for all of you here who are sinners, which is every one of you, and myself included, I have good news for you today. By God's love, Jesus pays our debt. While we were sinners, while we were unlovable, while we were at our worst, while we were the most ugly, while we were revolting, it was then that God loved us. And he did it perfectly. The perfect love was the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And in that love, he loved us with perfection. So that the fear of condemnation was removed. Perfect love cast out fear. Now, this is better than a psychological tool. And I want to show you why. I think some of our greatest fears in our lives uh, come from relational hurts. So let me ask you this, as a hypothetical. Uh, if you went to the gas station, hypothetically, and you went to be rung up by the gas station attendant, and he or she uh, looked at you as she was finishing the transaction and said, I don't love you. You might be like, um, okay. That was a little weird, uh, but I'm probably not going to lose sleep over this. <laughs> so why? And the answer is because you don't have a relationship with the gas station attendant. But if your mother or your father came to you and they sat you down and they said these words, I don't love you, it would crush you. You'd feel destroyed. Because all of a sudden, the relationship in which you had the most security, all kinds of fears would enter. 
fear of abandonment, fear of loss, fear of insecurity. And the reason it's so painful is because you were created to love and to be loved. You were created for healthy relationships marked without fear. And this is why the gospel is so powerful, especially when people have hurt you relationally. If perfect love casts out fear is a reference to the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, the removal of condemnation, then that means that you can go to your heavenly Father without fear. Before, before you believed in Jesus, your world and your life was motivated by fear. Fear of the future, fear of the past, fear of particular relationships. But now the fear is removed because your relationship with the Father is secure, unmovably secure, indeniably secure, permanently secure, eternally secure. And because this vertical relationship you share with the Father is so safe, because there is no fear, it spills into your horizontal relationships in your life and with others. So maybe, for instance, you fear not having enough money in this life. So what? Eternally, you have the purse of the king of the world. Maybe you're a people pleaser and you're always afraid of people's opinion. So what? When God looks at you, it reminds me of the way I look at my newborn daughter. I think she's the most beautiful thing in the world. What do you care about what other people think? Maybe if you're an actual person or an event that seems overwhelming, again, who cares? Our God is greater than all things, and all things are in his hands and his control. So the vertical spills out into the horizontal. And this brings us to verse 19. We love because he has first loved us. The motivation we have to love without fear is because we have been loved perfectly. So I actually had this engraved on my wedding ring uh, on the inside. I wanted to mark our marriage by some verse, and that's the verse I happened to choose. And I want to share something with you. And I don't want to scare you. We have, a, we have actually a very good marriage. Um, but if it were not for the gospel, I don't think I would be married today. There are so many moments in marriage where one person has to be the one to say, because he first loved me, because he first loved me, I can love my spouse in this or that way. Because he first loved me, I can lose this argument. Because he first loved me, I can let go of this thing that bothers me. Because he first loved me, I can be patient when I'm tempted to be angry or gentle when I'm tempted to be harsh. Because he first loved me. Now, of course, this isn't just marriage. You can pick any relationship in your life. Because he first loved me, I can love my father or mother who's hard to love. Because he first loved me, I can love my annoying coworker. Because he first loved me, I can love my enemy. Whether it's marriage or friendship or whatever relationship it is, someone has to take the first step. Someone has to remember the gospel. Now let me end with uh, two tests the text offers. The first is this. 
Where in your relationships do you lack love? But particularly loving actions. Maybe you have affection for a particular person, but you fail to follow through. Where in your life do you fail to love indeed? Verse 21 is our warning here. It says that it's a commandment. John says it's a commandment. You must love the brothers. It's not a feeling. It's not a moment of inspiration. It's a choice that you make, that because Jesus loved you, you will choose to love the brothers or sisters. The second test is this. Where in your life is your heart astray? If the place of love is God abiding in your heart, then is Jesus dwelling there? Is God the center of your affection, the pearl of your field, or is something else taking its place? Church family, if we're to love people well, we have to see the source, the purpose, and the motivation of love. We have to love by the Spirit abiding in us, in our out of spirit-filled hearts, rivers will flow in loving action towards other people. Now, if this is your first time uh, in a church, or you're new to Christianity, or you're interested in Christianity, do you want to be loved in this way? Do you want to love this way? The arms of Jesus are open wide. Simply confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Let's pray towards that end this Advent season. Let's pray.